this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. If you're new today, we are walking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Does the Bible speak to the issue of work? Does it address the concept of excellence? I mean, you know, if you walk into Barnes & Noble or somewhere, you're going to see whole shelves of books about the pursuit of excellence, about how to make the most of your job. Okay, what does God's Word say about those things? We've come to that part of Ephesians 6 that's really about that in verses 5 through 9. So we're talking today about excellence for God's glory. Excellence for God's glory. So let's look at Ephesians 6, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 9 and see what God's Word says about that. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take your word today and show us how we can redeem our work lives, how we can pursue excellence for your glory. The world is really so messed up and distorted on these issues. And as new creatures in Christ, we want to do what we do with excellence, not for our own glory, but for yours. And so would you show us how we can take the gospel um, into our work lives into what you call us to do each day and, and how that can be utterly transformed by the gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In his book, Working, people talk about what they do all day and how they feel about what they do. Studs Terkel opens with these words. This book, being about work, is by its very nature about violence to the spirit as well as the body. It's about ulcers as well as accidents, about shouting matches as well as fistfights, about nervous breakdowns as well as kicking the dog around. It's about daily humiliations. Well, hopefully you don't feel that way about what you do every day. But how many of us view work as something that we have to get through in order to get to the good things of life. Now, when I talk about work, I'm not just talking about those of you who are defined by the government as part of the workforce. Okay, Kids have work to do. They have school work to do. Stay-at-home moms have tons of work to do. And those of you who are retired say that you've never been busier. There are plenty of things um, that you have to do and that you have to get done. Um, and the Bible presents work, not as something 
that we have to get through in order to get to the good things of life. You know what? The Bible actually says that work is one of those good things of life. The concept of working is introduced in in Genesis 1 and 2, prior to the entry of sin into the world. God puts the man and the woman in the garden. He says, I want you to work it, tend it, name the animals, take dominion over the rest of creation. Okay, this is all while the world is still perfect. This is prior to the fall, prior to the introduction of sin. So while the world was still perfect, God said that working was to be a part of it. So what if we took our work lives back to the way that work was intended to be? What if as new creations in Christ, and part of the new creation that that God is building, what if we took our work lives back to God's original design? What if we woke up every day excited about what God has called us to do with the right motivation and the right purpose? What if we viewed what we do every day as an opportunity to glorify God and to love others, to serve others? And what if we understood that we could do what we do every day with God at our side? Well, that's what this text is all about. And before we dig into it, there are a couple of elephants in the room in this text that we need to deal with, okay? The first is this. Is Paul condoning slavery in this text? Because he's talking about slaves and slave owners and so forth. Is he condoning slavery? Absolutely not. Okay? In fact, it was Christianity that was going to lead to the, the abolition uh, of slavery um, in the Greco-Roman world and in other places as, as well. Um, so he's, he's not condoning slavery. What he is doing here is accepting the reality of things, and that is in the first century Greco-Roman world in which Paul is writing, a third of the population was enslaved. And in metropolitan areas like Ephesus, it could have been more than half of the people, more than 50% were uh, slaves. And so Paul knows that this letter is going to be read to people who are slaves and some who, who own slaves. It's, it was just reality. However, slavery is very different than slavery was in North America. Slavery in Paul's uh, world was not race-based. And most slaves earned their freedom most by the age of 30. Very rare for an older person to still be a slave in that culture. They would earn their freedom usually by the age of, um, of 30. And, and slavery actually was seen by many people as a means of entrance into Roman citizenship and, and Roman society. So in this culture, slaves served, they served as doctors and nurses and teachers. Slaves ran businesses. And it was really an opportunity for many people to kind of... Uh, uh, earned their citizenship and, and enter into Roman uh, society, many prominent Roman citizens were former slaves. So when you hear about uh, Paul talking about slavery here, don't get in your mind what slavery was like in North America. Um, it, it, was, it was very different. He's still not condoning it. He's still not condoning it. But he, is, he does know it's a reality. And he knows that this letter is going to be read to people, uh, some of whom are free and some of whom are slaves. Okay? So, the second question is this. How does this apply to us? Because obviously none of us are slaves and none of us are slave owners. The biblical principle that Paul is talking about here goes far beyond that. It applies to, to, to anybody who is in authority, anybody who's working under authority. I mean, really, any, anything that we do, whatever our calling is in life, okay, Um, 
how do we do that? How do we fulfill that calling to the glory of God? That's, that's the biblical principle that is at stake here. And so it applies to all of us. So let's dig into the text here. What do we see in these verses? First of all, he's talking about excellence for God's glory in our work. So if we want to glorify God, if we want to be excellent for his glory in our work, then what do we need to understand? The first thing we need to understand is that we work for God. <laughs> we work for Him. We do what we do for uh, Him, ultimately. Verse 5 says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. And in Colossians 3, which is a parallel text to this one, Paul says this. He says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. Now, who is Paul writing to here? Is he just writing to, uh, to, to pastors and missionaries when he says uh, you're working for the Lord? No. He's writing to an entire congregation of people. Okay, they, they came from a myriad of uh, backgrounds. They were doing all kinds of different jobs. And Paul says, as a believer, in your job, whatever it is, you are serving God. One time, a, a man approached the great reformer Martin Luther and he said, I, I, I want to serve God uh, in, in what I do. And Luther said, well, what do you do now? And the guy said, well, I'm a, I'm a shoemaker. And Luther said, well, then go make really good ones and sell them at a fair price. Okay? Notice that Luther did not tell him to go make Christian shoes. Okay? He didn't tell him to go become a pastor or a missionary if he wanted to serve God. Now, obviously, you know, those are great callings. You know, if, if God calls you uh, to do that, trust me, you'll never be happy doing anything else. But whatever you do, whatever your job is, if you're a believer, make no mistake about it, you are serving God. See, what we tend to do is we, we, we chop life up into secular and spiritual. And so many times we'll think, well, okay, when I read my Bible, when I have my quiet time, when I pray, when I prepare to teach my Sunday school lesson, um, when I'm doing my church activities, that's the spiritual side of my life. And then I have the non-spiritual part of my life. Now, the Bible doesn't chop life, life up like that. The Bible says that if you're a believer, you are a servant of God 24-7. Okay? And so there's no uh, division like that. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10:31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I heard a story about a, a couple that ate... Uh, dinner at a wonderful restaurant in London, and the setting was gorgeous and the meal was exquisite, uh, but at one point the lady wanted to put some uh, salt on her, her food, um, and she, she discovered that both the shakers on the table were actually pepper, and no big deal, she just asked the server uh, about it, but the server was horrified that this mistake had been made, and so when the d dessert came out, she said, please, this is on uh, the house, and um, the couple said, hey, listen, it was, it was no big deal, you know, whatsoever. And the server said, but ma'am, you could have been the queen. The Bible says we serve the king in what we do. It says in verse 7, it says that as we work, we're rendering service with a goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. We ultimately, as believers, we, we work for him. Now, does that have implications for how we do our work? Absolutely, absolutely. So what does he say here? He says, 
we're to work enthusiastically. As believers, understanding that we're serving God in our jobs, we're to work enthusiastically. Verse 6, he says that we work not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks, wrote sort of an autobiographical book a few years ago called Pour Your Heart Into It. And obviously it was a play on words because at Starbucks they pour you know, coffee into cups. And he's saying this business was built because we poured our hearts into it. Well, obviously as, as believers, how much more should we be pouring our hearts into what we do knowing that it's God that we're serving. So we're doing our utmost for his highest. We're, we're, we're serving him. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And see, it's also our witness that is at stake in this. Because there is nothing that can compromise the witness of someone who professes Christ and is they're, they're, they're slack in their work. And the people that they work with know that they're, 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 they're slack in their work. Any, any opportunity that they have to share Christ is gone. Okay? In fact, they're not, not only are they not a positive witness, they're a negative witness for the gospel um, because we're representing Christ when we profess him. And the opposite is also true. If you work, with, if, if you work hard and work with enthusiasm, then you gain the respect of people and you gain credibility uh, to share what you believe with them. Um, one time, uh, Harold Ockengay, who was a former pastor of Park Street Church in, in Boston, was on a preaching tour in, of Europe, and he was in Poland, and he was invited to go to this estate of this Polish noble, and, which was a surprise, because this guy was not a Christian. But he they, he'd invited Ockengay to come, and so they were taking this tour, 1,300-acre estate, and this Polish noble pointed to this young man, and he said, you see that young man? He's the reason why I invited you to come today. This young man was a, a, a believer in Christ. He was, he was bold about his faith. He was known for that. The noble said, he's the best worker that I have. In fact, he's not only the best worker that I have, he has the best attitude here. He is exceptional. And he's so different that his, he's given me a thirst to want to understand what he believes. I want you to tell me what he believes. I mean, you know, this is, this is what we're talking about here. Um, work enthusiastically. Uh, third, work vertically. And, and by this, I mean with our eye on God, okay? Our eye constantly on Him as we work. Uh, verse 6. He says that we work as believers, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You remember when you were in uh, PE or maybe you were on a team and, uh, and, and so you, you had to do push-ups and so uh, there was like a whole group of people, whole sea of people. You looked out over the gym and there's elbows pumping, you know, all over the place as people do, are doing push-ups and then the, the coach turns, turns away and like half the, half the elbows stop pumping, okay? That's what he's talking about here. He's saying though that as believers, we're not working just to impress an earthly boss because God is always watching what we do. And see, this is incredibly freeing because there are many, many times when we're diligent in our jobs, but not everybody sees that. I mean, you know, there are things that we do 
uh, th- we're doing them in an excellent way. And there's lots of times when those things go unnoticed, not by God. Not by God. God sees your good work. God sees your diligence. And furthermore, the Bible says God rewards it. It says in verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. God sees and God will uh, reward. Third, uh, fourth, work pleasantly. Work pleasantly. Work with the right attitude. Verse 7, he says that as we work, we're rendering service with a good will. Attitude. Um, the late professor of, um, at Dallas Seminary, Howard Hendricks, once said that he was, uh, he was on a plane that was delayed by weather, and so they were stuck on the runway, and many of you know how this is. And, uh, and so you're, you're sitting there on the plane, and you're thinking about uh, you're going to be late for where you're going, and you could miss a connection at the next airport, and, you know, they don't turn the A.C. on until the plane uh, gets airborne, and so it's getting hot. I mean, there's ever a situation where people are going to get irritated, it's that one. And so sure enough, I mean, people were just, they were getting hot, and they were getting hot under the collar, too, you know, and so they were just irritated. And, and, um, and, and Howard Hendricks noticed there was this one flight attendant that was so incredibly patient and, and kind and gracious with these irritated passengers. And he was so impressed by her that after the plane got airborne and things settled down, he called her over and he said, I, I, just, I noticed you and the way that you treated people in that situation. And I just want to write a letter of commendation about you to the airline. And she said, well, well thank you, but you need to know, ultimately, I don't work for the airline. I work, I work for Jesus Christ. And before I left home today, my husband and I prayed that I would have a great attitude towards people today and represent Christ well. Work pleasantly. So, excellence for God's glory in our work. And, and then, Paul talks about excellence for God's glory, specifically in how we treat others as we work. So, he says in verse 9, Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So, ultimately, all of us work under authority, um, whether we have a human boss or not, because we're under God's authority. And, and most of the time, in some situations, we're going to find ourselves uh, working uh, in authority, with, with, with people working under us. But whether we're in authority or under authority, how are we to treat people as we work. And he gives us a couple of principles here. First of all, treat others as you want to be treated. He says, um, he says in verse 9, masters do the same to them. Jesus says in Luke 6:31, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. I mean, all kinds of questions about how to treat people in different situations become clear when we just step back and ask, okay, if if I were in his or her shoes right now, how would I want to be treated by me? <laughs> okay? That makes all kinds of things clear. And so treat others as you want to be treated. And then second, understand that everyone you work with is of equal value in God's sight. So what does he say here? Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. God is not impressed by our titles. 
He's not impressed by our uh, positions. He's not impressed by our, the, the nameplate on our, our, our desk. Um, God is no respecter of persons. And, and in, all persons are of equal worth in his sight, and he wants us to understand that. Now, this is amazing that he's writing this. This is the, in the first century world, all, the pecking order that existed between slave and free and uh, men and, and women and, 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 and Jews and Gentiles. You've got all these different uh, things that divided people in their culture in this pecking order. And Paul says, no. In Christ, you, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And all of you are of equal value in the sight of God. And that's why he says in Galatians 3.28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or, and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, let's talk about how the gospel transforms ambition and the pursuit of excellence. Okay? How does the gospel transform ambition, and the pursuit of excellence. God made us to be aspirational people. God made us with sort of a a desire to create and to achieve and to accomplish things, okay, to have uh, goals and dreams and aspirations. Okay, this is part of being created in the image of God because God is goal-oriented. God, has a, 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 he, God is a creative God. God creates. He achieves. He has an, an end in mind, a purpose, and a, and a, and a goal, um, aspiration. Okay, so to have those things is really part of being created in the image of God. What happens is that sin twists that. That's what all sin is really Sin, it, all sin really, is something good that's twisted. It's warped. Okay, so originally, the pursuit of excellence and ambition before sin entered the world, that was about bringing glory to God. We wanted to be excellent. People wanted to be excellent to glorify their Creator, okay, and as a means to serve other people. When sin enters the world, that becomes twisted. Okay, so sin enters the world in Genesis 3. And what happens by Genesis 11? By Genesis 11, you've got the Tower of Babel, and you've got people wanting to create this, this huge building, okay, to the, this tower, but for what purpose? So that they said we can make a name for ourselves. It wasn't about his glory anymore. It was about their glory it wasn't about God's fame and honor anymore. It was about their fame and honor. You see, ambition and the pursuit of excellence had become warped. This is what the theologian Augustine says. He says that, that we've become curved in on ourselves. Okay, and so what happened to ambition and the pursuit of excellence is that instead of it being about the glory of God and as a, a means to love and serve others, it became about our own acclaim, our own honor, our own fame, but building up ourselves. Now, how does the gospel 
transform all of this? How, as new creations in Christ, are we to think about excellence and ambition? What difference does the gospel make? A couple of things. First of all, the gospel gives us true acceptance and approval. In the world, it's all about being accepted by others. You know, so much of work life today in our culture just revolves around this. Getting ahead of others, trampling over others, climbing over others, um, using people instead of loving people, okay, but all so that we can be accepted by other human beings, so that we can, uh, can, can gain this position. And so uh, we'll be higher and uh, we'll be accepted by, uh, by others. Um, th- this is kind of really what's behind shows like Survivor and The Apprentice, right? Some are accepted, some are not accepted, right? What we need to understand as believers is that we have already been accepted by the one who matters, okay? We have been accepted and adopted as sons and daughters of the king. And that acceptance has come not because of anything we've done or achieved or earned. It has come because of the finished work of Christ, what Christ has achieved, what Christ has accomplished, what Christ has earned through His death on the cross for our sins and His resurrection from the dead. And in Him, you are already accepted. You are totally accepted as a child of God. Now, what does that do? That liberates us from this drive to, you know, gain acceptance with others. I mean, we've already been accepted by the one who matters. So who cares if a bunch of puny human beings vote you off the island? Okay, or if Donald Trump says you're fired. When the King of Kings has already said, you're mine. You're mine. You're my beloved child. So what the gospel does is that it, it, it frees us from getting our self-identity and our self-worth from what we do. And we understand that our self-identity and our self-worth comes not from what we do, but from whose we are. That we belong to Him. Okay, we're accepted in Him. So the gospel gives us true acceptance and approval. And so what that means in our work lives is that, you know, we're free. We're free from just this constant pressure to impress other people. Um, Second, the gospel moves us away from self-focus. So, in Christ, we are now free as we do our work to, to not be focused inward on ourselves, but to be focused upward to God in faith and outward to others in love. Work is transformed into an opportunity to love God and love others. To look upward to God in faith, outward to our neighbor in love. Instead of looking inward and navel-gazing, okay, it's become about looking to God, seeking His glory in what we do. Okay, seeking the good of others in what we do, serving them, loving them. It, it, it's transformed 
from instead of you know, using people or climbing over people or trampling people or even fearing people into just loving people. And we're free, really free, to love people for the first time because as we love them, we're not loving them or doing good things for them in order to, 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 to gain any points with God. We're already completely accepted by God. Okay, we're already His child and Christ. We're not trying to gain anything or earn anything from Him anymore. He's already given us everything. We're totally accepted in Christ based upon the finished work of Christ. And what that does is that makes us free to truly love people. Okay, because we've been loved. We've received so much love ourselves and we want to extend that to other people and, and use our jobs to, to serve them. Now, this is the magic that's behind a, a company like Chick-fil-A. Uh, which, the late Truett Cathy passed away just a few weeks ago. You know, what pervades the culture of that company? You know, why are they faster? Why, are they, why is it cleaner? Why are the people more pleasant? Okay, it's because this concept of service just pervades the whole culture of that company. And that came from the gospel. And so things are just utterly transformed by, um, by the gospel. Now, if you've never read the book of Proverbs, you need to read it. Okay? You need to read it, uh, you need to read it with uh, kids or grandkids or, or whatever because it, it teaches us wisdom okay, and how to live. And you know in Proverbs... If you've read it, you know there are all these really vivid characters uh, of, of people in Proverbs. So there's the fool. That's the person that doesn't, he doesn't listen to anybody arrogant. Okay, the fool and uh, uh, the, the drunk, uh, you know, the person who uh, can't, doesn't manage money well, uh, the person with a wandering eye. Um, but there's a character in Proverbs, the sluggard. You know this if you've read Proverbs. You've, you've met the sluggard. And, and one of the passages about the slugger, this is a lazy person, in Proverbs, is in chapter 24, and it says this, I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Now, in order to really understand the angst that's in this proverb, you need to understand, in, in the ancient Near East, to be, to be given a, a piece of land like this, and to top it off, a vineyard on the piece of land. This was an incredible opportunity. And the writer of Proverbs says, I passed by this, this field, this vineyard that belonged to the sluggard, and it was just a mess. Not because of a drought, not because of a flood, but because of sheer neglect. This is a squandered opportunity. He was given this vineyard, and... It's been, it's been wasted. All of us are given a vineyard. You've been given a vineyard. Your brain, your gifts, your abilities, your experience, your money, your financial resources, okay, this is the vineyard that God has given you. Your situation in life, this is your vineyard. What are you going to do with your vineyard? You say, well, I don't like my vineyard. I want a different vineyard. I want a better vineyard. What makes you think that God is going to give you a different or a better vineyard if you're not faithful with the vineyard that He's already given you? He wants you to be faithful where you are. Your situation in life, your job right now, the financial resources that you have right 
now. God has called you to be faithful. And more than that, God says, you look to me and you do what you do for my glory as a means to glorify me and as a means to serve and love others. And I'll be with you. I'll do it with you. You don't have to do it alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the way that the gospel of Jesus Christ permeates every aspect of our lives. And and Lord, we want to glorify you with what you have called us to do. Lord, help us to be faithful stewards as we serve in the vineyard where you have placed us. Help us to view every day as an opportunity just to bring you glory and to love and serve others. Deliver us from a self-focus and help us to look upward to you in faith and out to our neighbor in love as we work. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about a relationship with him, you want to know more about the gospel, I'm going to be right here at the front um, as we sing or after the service. We would love to talk with you more. If God's speaking to you about becoming a part of this church family and you want to seek membership here, we would love um, to welcome you. If there's a need in your heart, you want someone to pray with, we don't want to leave, you to leave here without being prayed for. You're invited to come. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you receive Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together. Thank you.